and turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie up some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to the throne. Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters, number 436. I have a movie voice today. My name is Caleb Hegg. And if you subtract 400 from that, it's show 36. Oh, it's like our own Gamatria. Yeah, our own Gamatria. I'm Rob Vanna. We haven't done a Gamatria time for a while. We have not. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Me too. You go, if, if anybody wants those, there's plenty. There's oh man, on the, on the shelf. So, I say every once in a while, I'll say this. I don't know if this is going to be a very long show. Now, every time I say that, the show goes over our normal hour-long slot that we have dedicated to ourselves. But this time, you mean it. This time, however, I really don't have a lot to talk about except for one thing. And so, I think, yeah, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the show where we go 30 minutes and we say, "Let's cut it right there." And you know what? We can do that. You know why? Because we produce this show. Speaking of which, if you want to be a part of this conversation, see Hegg at TorahResource.com, C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205. This show, you can find past shows, video, audio. You can find our, uh, you can find Mystery Bible Theater 3000, which we do on Fridays. You can find that on uh, messiahmatters.com. Finally, as I already said, this show is produced by Torah Resource, torahresource.com. Find all sorts of great stuff. Now, I have some things. Actually, that reminds me. I'm glad I just remembered this because I was asked by Michael to plug a couple of things. First, there's still time to sign up for Beit Tefilati, Tefilati. An introduction to the places and promises nice. of prayer with a great teacher named Rob Van Hoff. 
Uh, and this is what I, I, uh, I just so you know, I'm not wearing my my Sci Matters garb or merch during the in, lectures. Oh, well, okay, fair. But uh, basically, the way that this works is you uh, you purchase it, and then you can go through the videos and uh, do the there's knowledge tests and all that kind of stuff. You can do all that on your own time. You don't. It's, there's no scheduled live classes or anything like that. Uh, you can find it on the homepage of TorahResource.com. And let's see what uh, Mike has written for me. He says, a mini course with four pre-recorded video lectures with a downloadable handout for only $20. <clears throat> Pardon me. This mini course is an introduction to the scripture's overall portrayal of prayer in its various aspects and it ha as it has pertained to the lives of God's covenant people from ancient times until, unto the present. Its aim is to provide students an opportunity to obtain greater clarity on what prayer is and what it is not, and how proper prayer is a crucial obligation for Yeshua's flock. The Bible is therefore the central text of this study. Boom! All Boom! Right, we need to like while while you have a cold, <laughs> we need to just record a bunch of blurbs. Yes. For a second there, Caleb, you were yes. like the the news commentator from The Simpsons. Oh, thank you. Do you know uh, the news oh i think i do know hang on just a second we, we have it do we is that yeah, a harry I, shearer Who, sponsored by ace religious supply where they say if we don't got it it ain't holy, it ain't holy. <laughs> yes uh very nice okay hang on i got more to plug this is not it i'm not over i've I'm already got really yet. good feedback from the course two people who are taking it uh, starting it so good it's number two it's not, from just, it's not just me who thinks it's great <laughs> fair Number two from the uh, from the back end of the Messiah Matters, from the, the producer chair of, of Messiah Matters. Number two, enrollment is now open for the 2023-2024 spring quarter of Torah Resource Institute. You can go sign up. Once again, there is a banner on the homepage. It's the top banner. Register today. It says, this is what I have been written. Uh, this was written for me, by the way. That's why it's so... See, I like it when people write stuff for me and I don't have to think about it. Register before uh, uh, August 21st and receive an early registration discount. Gain the knowledge and the skills you need to properly study your Bible and strengthen your faith. Classes start September 5th. Uh, number three on my written script here is Torah Resource Summer Sale. Get 10% off all Torah... Now, this is not exactly right. You get 10% off most Torah resource products. Things like uh, Torah Resource Institute classes. Uh, there's a couple of products that we don't produce, like the first Hebrew primer. Uh, you're not going to get discounts on those things. Obviously, donations, you don't get a 10% discount on. So there are a couple of things you can't get discounts on. But for the most part, go buy whatever you want, and uh, you'll get 10% off. This includes, this is what is written for me, this includes books, commentaries, videos, and audio resources produced by Torah Resource in hard copy and or digital formats. Use this coupon code at checkout. I'm going to give this to you. Write it down. It's actually, I think you can find it. There's a banner on the homepage. Summer, all lowercase, S-U-M-M-E-R-2-3 is the code, uh, July 19th through August 2nd. So we often are asked, often we are asked, did I miss the sale? Well, now is the time. The sale is on. Go write it down. Go fill your cart with as much as possible. Get 10% off. Okay. Now that all that's over, let's get into the meat of it. Should, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. Let's see what I have in my notes. Oh, that's right. I don't really have notes. Okay. Here's what happened. I'll give you the backstory to this. Now, last, last week, we went over... Uh, a gentleman's comment, his name was Tan, and he left several comments on our you know, YouTube videos about uh, how believers don't have to keep the covenant obligations anymore, which, as I say that, doesn't that just sound ridiculous? Covenant believers don't have to keep the covenant, the covenant obligations anymore. Okay, now, let's be fair. Throughout history, Christianity has found all different, the they've gone down all different theological avenues to try to essentially make new doctrine that I don't actually think is valid. Now, this is a this is a hit on the church, and I oftentimes defend the church against the Hebrew roots movement, against the messiantics movement, whatever, right? But this time the church needs a little uh a little dig too. And the fact of the matter is you got all sorts of stuff like the church's view of baptism is often skewed. Uh, I think that the entire system of the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper is way off. 
Uh, just there's a lot of different things. Just the overall view of covenants is off. I had somebody recently, actually just the other day, text me, good brother of the Lord, text me. He said, do you ever doubt that your view of the Torah and is, is wrong? You know, that, that we don't really need to be keeping the Sabbath or the festivals or any of that. And my response was, no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't ever doubt that. In fact, I was talking to Rob about this about two weeks ago. He asked the same thing. Like, are we way off? Are we are, crazy? Like, are we crazy here? Are we, have we missed the mark? And as I'm studying through covenants, as I'm studying all these things, I become more and more convinced. Not like I am, I would say I'm a hundred, I'm ready to die convinced for, for God's covenant. And I think that I'm in the place of, I, I pray I honestly pray that I'm in the place of if I was martyred for my views, just like the Maccabees, like eat the pork. You're going to get boiled in, you know, in hot oil if you don't eat the pork. I pray that I'm in the place now where I'd be like, oil sounds good. Let's go. Right? Because I... Yeah, and, the, and, and when you have a like heavy hitter like Dr. Daniel Block publish a like a two inch thick volume like what was it is that 2022 or 2020 i mean it's 2021 it was two, it was and, 800 and some odd pages yes and he's writing from a i'm not going to say how old he is i don't know how but but this is an end of career kind of old school um, baby you know what i mean this is encapsulating a lifetime yeah of of teaching the Bible at a PhD level. How many PhD students has he, um, you know, advised Helped or produced. guided? Yeah. Um, he wrote a, a stellar commentary on the book of Ezekiel and he's written, I think it was last week before, you know, um, the gospel according to Moses was one of his books, but Unbelievable here, at, book. at, at, he, he publishes this, I would say like a true tome, boom, like a book, you put it on your table. It's going to thump. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Called What's it called? Covenants. It, it, it's all about it's covenant. covenant. And yeah, covenant. Um, so while he might not uh, chase out a lot of nuance because in his historical situation, maybe he hasn't encountered the same kind of conversations but, we've had. Wait, but, but wait, but wait, he is turning in that book. That's what and, I mean. And the yeah. point, and the and, and one of the things that some people might not know about that uh, about that that book is that in that book he says, Christ, "I I now believe Christians should be keeping the Sabbath." Like, whoa, isn't that interesting? I wonder who's said that before. You know, Rob and I have been saying that for years and years and years. Is that we should be keeping the Sabbath? And I think that the tide is turning in the church. People are starting to say, "Whoa, wait, wait why is it that we're not actually keeping the Sabbath? Yeah. Doesn't make yeah. any sense." And hey, there's there is a long-standing tradition. In fact, it, this the Sabbath itself can be traced. Um, you know, my father has a great book. I have not personally read the book, but he has shared numerous passages with uh, of it with me, and uh, he's he he's talked a lot about this book of the Celtic Church celebrating the Sabbath all the way into the 10th century, and then you have the uh, you have the Seventh Day Baptists picking up the Sabbath and running with it in the 15th century, all the way until our present day, and there's still Seventh Day Baptist churches around. Okay, so it's not just the Seventh Day Adventists or anything like that. Who well, and are... we know from those councils that were what fourth, fifth century that are saying don't do it. Why? Right. <laughs> you don't say don't speed unless people are people speeding, are... right? Exactly. You know, you, you, the reason those signs are up there, and that's when you have a top-down authority structure that really is seems to be about some other motive, trying to impose people who are doing stuff that they don't like. Right. You know, but so that's, evident. The, I think that's, and, and, that might be called negative evidence, but the, when, when something is like vehemently opposed by a, a leading church body in the fifth or sixth century, it's like, why, why are they protesting so strongly? Well, I, I believe it was uh Bakiaki, right. Who is a seventh day Adventist uh, uh, scholar or was, I'm sorry. I think he's with the Lord now, but uh, Bakiaki. Bakiaki. Bakiyagi was a uh, Seventh-day Adventist. He, he traced, I don't know if it was in from Sabbath to Sunday, but it may have been, but he traces the, uh, the, the celebration of the Sabbath th by believers from Christ all the way until our present day. <clears throat> so 
there's work that has been done to show that the, that there has been a remnant. Excuse me. There are receipts. There are receipts. Okay, so it's not like we're just we're just coming up with this on our own. Um, there there's a there's a history. Uh, okay, so all of this to say, am I convinced? I'm 100% convinced. I'm and as I study this the covenants more, God's covenants, I become more and more fervently. You know, I, I, I listen to the Psalms as, at night as I'm trying to go to sleep. And I and last night and the night before, I was listening to Psalm 119. And as I'm listening to Psalm 119, I'm thinking, yes, yes. Like, I feel David's fervent love, not just for the commands. It's not, and this is not a legalistic thing. I'm not thinking that I'm going to be, that I'm going to, gain God's favor and grace by keeping his law. I've already gained his favor and grace, and now I'm in a covenant relationship with him, and I love that covenant. So right. I don't, I, like, I, I, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, yeah, man, this guy, I, I know exactly what he's talking about. Okay, so we haven't even, see, this is why we go long, is because we start talking, and then we just don't shut up. Uh, that's okay, though. So... Here is one that I got about three, four weeks ago. Somebody is debating with a Sunday school teacher of theirs. And he's going through, it's obvious that uh, that this person has been kind of called out, right? It's been realized that there is something different about this person's theology when it comes to the law of Moses, right? And so the like this person is now posting and teaching specifically against this person in their church's theology. Oh, Never man. a good thing. Never a good thing. Not the point. So, in that's there, that's a situation where the the student is whether they say it's living rent free in the teachers. <laughs> so the teachers like it's totally driving them to which is that can, the Lord can use that kind of thing. You know, that's I right. think it, I think He used me. I was on not that I was a Sunday school teacher, but I had that time where I was like, someone was saying things about the Bible that were against my presuppositions. And I was trying to dig deeper and deeper into the word. And it was totally transformative. It was a, I should have been in the word more already. Right. But B it, I ended up going, wow, you know what? I, you know, I can't, I, I can't honestly, you know, with a clean conscience before the Lord based on his revealed word, I can't argue against what this guy's saying. So who knows? Maybe the Sunday school. Okay, go ahead. Okay, no, no, no. So in this, in the, you know, he's posting, he's talking, and he's talking about how the covenant of Moses was given to Israel, not the church. We are part of the church, but the the, the law of Moses was not given to the church. It was given to Israel. Now I get this all the time, right? In fact, I have relatives. One, so uh, those who have listened to this show a lot know that uh, you know I've I've had some pretty hefty uh, disagreements with relatives of mine on the law. And this is not just one. This is not just one relative. I have relatives on both sides of the family who are very, very upset about the fact that we won't, you know, that we don't celebrate Christmas or that we, you know, there's all different things, but it comes out really in things like Christmas observance or uh, they have to cook something that's not, that they don't, you know, that's not pork, like these are when these arguments really come out. So uh, I have heard this argument from family like taking members. Taking bacon from a baby. Looking at bacon. I'm not sad about it. I'm I'm totally fine with it. No, no, I'm, no not the point. No, I'm talking about the people who are right. accommodating yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the point is, is that I've heard this argument before, and ultimately I see this. So in debates like this, I see this almost as a jujitsu role, right? There are moves that you can make and there are moves that you should not make. One of the moves that opponents to the law should not make is the law was given to Israel and not to the church. And the reason why is because this is a dead end. You will get submitted for this because it, it doesn't work. Then and you have no sin. Then you have no there's no knowledge of sin in your life. It, well, Paul says, I mean, you it, know, I mean, and, and sin is if 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 Jesus is like your top guy, and sin is not part of your, guy. <laughs> and is sin is <laughs> if Jesus is your top guy, and <laughs> sin is not part of your like crucial vocabulary, 
I don't mean like it's a word you know. I mean like it's part of your active vocabulary and you have a biblical conception of sin and you're trying to say the Torah of Moses doesn't apply to you, then that's a strange world to try to live in. I don't I don't know how. Well, here's the thing. Okay, now I'll give this I'll give this Sunday school teacher a little bit of grace in that he at least attempts to move. He pivots from this to the idea that the that Israel was given the law, but the church is given the law of Christ. Now, here's the thing. Remember, I was just talking about how I listened to Psalm 119 as I'm going to bed, and I'm sitting there going, yes, yes, I know exactly what he's talking about, right? Well, the law of Christ is not a thing. You have to go and decide what the law of Christ is. In the apostolic scripture, in the New Testament, you have to go and say, okay, well, is, is this for the Jews? He's ta- he, said, he talks about the Sabbath, Right, he says, "Pray that your your uh, flight is not on the Sabbath." Well, why would he do that if the Sabbath is is not for the for the Gentiles? Well, he must be talking to Israel and not the Gentiles, right? That they pray that their flight not be on the Sabbath. So, okay, so then we have to now all of a sudden we're having to pick and choose between Christ's words. What about Matthew five seventeen and following? Well, that must be for Israel, right? Before the death of Christ, right. So that's not part of the law of Christ. So now we get to pick and choose. What is part of the law of Christ? Here's the thing. In my theology, the law of Christ is the law of Moses. That is the law of Christ. Simple. If I want to know what the law of Christ says, I go and I look in the law. Open it's Deuteronomy. It's the Torah of Moses yeah. exactly. taught and explained and lived and um, and 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 accurately shown to be what it is by Yeshua. He's in uh, Romans, uh, what is it, Romans 10, 4, that, he, that Messiah is the telos of the Torah. It means if you're reading the Torah and you don't know who Messiah is, you're you're going to come up with man-made readings. You know, and some things will be, you know, you, you're only, it's like settling for a, a blurry picture. But if you read the Torah and you know who Yeshua is, then that's like looking at the photograph that's really clear and sharp. Right. Hang on just one second. Because I, when, I'll just, blurry, I'll just, I'll just when you're looking this. at a blurry image, sometimes you don't know how to interpret things. You're like, I don't know. Is that a is that a tree stump or is that a grizzly bear charging me? Right? And right. you don't know. So Patricia asked this question, what's the name of the book your dad is writing regarding the Celts keeping the Sabbath? My dad isn't writing it. He, he is reading a book reading. So it's a book that was already written by a different person. I'll have to find the name of it and uh, I'll mention it on next on the next show. So um, I wrote a paper one time. It was a pretty awful paper actually. And I think that's why I took it down. I thought it was trash. And so I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't keep it up. I think we had it on, I think we might've had it on Torah resource for a minute. And then I was like, this is really bad. Anyway, I, I try to argue in that book that uh, since God says, no one can see me and live, right? Moses says, I want to see your glory. And he says, nobody can see me and live. And then he puts him in the cleft of the rock, he passes by. Everybody knows the story, right? But then what happens in 33, in Exodus 33, it says, and Mo, he, Moses would go into the tent and he would speak with God, with yod face to face as a friend speaks with a friend. And so I argue that this was a pre-incarnate Yeshua, because we, he is speaking to him because he sees him as a friend speaks with a friend. Okay, so that this is my argument. Now, I honestly believe that, but I don't think that the I don't think that the evidence that I pro- produced was necessarily great. I think there was better ways to write that article. Anyway, not the point. All of this to say, I believe that Yeshua is the one who gives the Torah to Moses. The covenant that is made, and and we can, so there are so many avenues that we can go down here to talk about Israel and the Gentile people. First of all, there is the fact that the Gentiles are always coming into the covenant people of God. Okay, now, it needs to be stated at the outset of this conversation, we're already 25 minutes in, by the way, but we it needs to be, uh, it needs to be stated at the outset of this conversation that, number one, I do not believe that the, that the believers in Christ replace Israel. That is not what I am trying to say. The church does not replace Israel. I, it, it, this is replacement theology. Replacement theology is wrong. Okay. Yeah, and, and the assumption is that church and Israel are different. Right. And, and that's why one can the idea if you if they are not different, you can't even think that one is replacing the other. 
Here's the thing is that there is a, uh, no, I just did a video for pronomia.com. It's going to come out in two weeks for, uh, to the public. It's on the new covenant. Okay. Now I'm going through covenants on my, on this, uh, on this website. And so in two weeks, it'll come out. It'll be, uh, the new covenant. The thing is, is that I, I can't believe how arrogant it is for the church, for people in the church to say, I'm not part of Israel. Be, and the and the new and the and the covenant uh, given to Moses was for Israel, but I am part of the new covenant. Guess Jeremiah what? Jeremiah thirty one does talk about me. Yeah, exactly. But guess what? It's like it's not just Jeremiah thirty one and following. He says, "I I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah." So it's for Israel and Judah. It's not for the Gentiles. According like according to that passage. Now, if you read the entire chapter, which I do, by the way, in my video that's coming out, I read the entire chapter. Why do I do that? Because constantly, Israel, 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 I will say to Israel, I will call Israel, this is for Israel, 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 right? Then we get to Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, and guess what happens? I'm making a new covenant with Israel and Judah, and then Judah gets assimilated into Israel, and this is the covenant that I will make with Israel. And all of a sudden, the Gentiles are like, the, the Gentile church is like, oh, guess what? Well, I'm not part of Israel. But now this is for me. Well, which one is it? You can't you can't pick and choose like that. And this is such a a point of contention for the the broader Christian world that in that when dispensationalism starts to to become a thing, the very first uh, what do you what would you even say the very very first like uh, embodiment I guess of this theology comes out, and what do the dispensationalists say? They say the new covenant is not for the church. We're that's not for us. Jeremiah 31, 31 and following is not for us. That's for Israel. That's for physical Israel. And so what do they do with that? How do they how do they reconcile that? What they do is they say, well, there's another new covenant that we find in the New Testament. It's found in Hebrews. And so this new covenant is for the church. Now, there's major problems with that as well, which is that the book of Hebrews is written to Israel, to the people of Israel, right? He addresses it to his brothers, right? And so the, the point is, is that they got this wrong anyway. This is caught very quickly by the dispensationalists. Within a couple of years of this theology starting to be written about and formed, they have to pivot. And they say, no, 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 no. It actually, the new covenant is for us. But they've already tipped their hand. They've already showed you what's in their hand. And their hand is, well, you can't have it both ways. Are you part of Israel or are you not part of Israel? And as you go through the covenants, this is what's really interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. The Abrahamic covenant includes the Gentiles in terms of the promise is for the Gentiles. But ultimately, the, the Abrahamic covenant is for Abraham. Now, Abraham's a Gentile, but it's for Abraham and his descendants. And we start to see this, this take shape and take root, right? And, and uh, Isaac blesses Jacob. And so now this covenant is going through Jacob's line, right? It's not going through Esau's line, it's going through Jacob's line. And now we come down to the, you know, the Davidic covenant. This is for a specific line as well. But we take possession of a covenant when we get to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the land grant treaty that was promised to Abraham. Now it's for this dynasty. This dynasty is now coming into the land and it applies to the, the individual people. Well, if you're a Gentile who's not part of Israel, how do you become part of that covenant? You attach yourself to Israel. And how do we do that? How do we as Gentiles do that? Through the, the inclusion of covenant through Christ. We are now heirs according to promise. This is what the scripture says. Now, ultimately, the new covenant... I You know, this is what I talk about in my... Uh, I spend, I don't know, 40 minutes talking about about the new covenant in this video that's coming up. But ultimately, the question then becomes, well, what is so new about the new covenant, which was a title of, of my father's teachings on the new covenant. And I, I would say that the only thing that is new about the new covenant is not the stipulations. It's not how we, it's not the sign of the covenant. That's all the same. All of it is the same, except for the new covenant when the Torah is written on the heart, which we're told to circumcise our hearts and that God will circumcise our hearts in the, in the Deuteronomy covenant, right? But Israel doesn't do that. Israel doesn't do that. And so they're like over here, 
But the people who do have the Torah written on the heart, the, the people who do have the new spirit, right? If you if you uh, compare the Isaiah passage, I think it's Isaiah, what is it, 55, 56, anyway, that talks about the spirit of God living in us, right? And then the Ezekiel 50, uh, 36 passage, where the spirit, it, God gives us his spirit, right? And this is the mark of the new covenant, is this new spirit. And then we get to the uh, Romans, right? And and Paul says, if you do not have the spirit, Romans 8, if you do not have the spirit of, of Christ in you, the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead, you're not saved, right? Well, this is all new covenant, not time bound. So Moses was part of this new covenant, right? So what's the difference? Abraham is part of the new covenant. Adam and Eve, once they come back to God, they're part of the new covenant, right? So what is so new? And... I think that Paul tells us in Romans 11, then all Israel will be saved. The fulfillment, the, the filling up of the cup, you know, my father makes this analogy. You don't just have an instantly full cup, you fill the cup up. And right now the new covenant is being filled up, but it'll come to its fullness when the cup is full. And that is when all Israel will be saved. When we look at Israel and we say, look, every one of them believes in, in Christ, none of them have to be told, no, God, for they all know him from the least to the greatest. This is Because what at is that new. point, it will be absolutely clear that there is no difference between a, a Jew who loves God with all his heart, soul, and strength, and uh, the revelation of Messiah. Those will be seen to be absolutely clearly right. one and the same thing. And so... Those who reject Yeshua also reject the Torah. That right. it, it'll be that's how clear the identity will be. That's how bright the the revelation will be. It'll just be mutual exclusive. There's not going to be any people because because God will be speaking and everybody will be hearing. And so it'll be like there's no one who's gonna say, um, Mr. God, I disagree <laughs> with your interpretation of the Torah. Right. I, I want I want the Torah of Moses, but I don't want this Jesus guy. Well, right. guess what? That it, it, There's no place for that person to stand. That There's not going to be any place for someone to stand uh, and, and make that claim. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take Moses, but I'll do, you know, I'll just do without Jesus. No. Then if that's the case, then that's your condemnation. Because like Yeshua says at the end of John 5, it's Moses who accuses you, not me, you know. The, and you think you you think you have your hope in Moses, but it's, he's your accuser, because you're a sinner. And the Torah, there's what what does the Torah have for a sinner except to describe the gravity of your situation with respect to the holiness of God and the curses that that correspond to that. Right. Here's Caleb. I have a question. Question with all. Thank you for sharing. You did a really really thorough job on all this. And I want to ask back to the. Samuel Bakiochi or Bakiaki. yep. And 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 that historical search and, and assertion that we there is receipts for a history. What what do you think are the main, I don't know how to ask the question. What are the main difficulties? Is there a main difficulty? What's so hard that it became that let's say at some point in history there were more and more teachers of the Bible that for them, they took for granted that they were not part of Israel. And so they started fortifying and building up this other way of uh, interpreting. And it, was, there, was there a time where a guy's like studying the Bible and he's like, you know, I just don't understand this. And so I really don't understand the Bible, but I think I understand who Jesus is. So I'm just going to start preaching about Jesus. And I'm just going to like say, you know what, I, it's too hard. And so I'm just going to, but I think I don't think I, 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 I want to preach Jesus. And so they just start preaching Jesus and then there's fruit to some degree. And then there's like solidarity builds up. And then that, uh, then there's like, they put up these signs that say danger. Don't go, don't go there. Don't talk about the Sabbath. Don't talk about the feast. And occasionally, yeah, those Jews over there, see, they keep the Sabbath and the feast, but they don't love Jesus. So see, and it, and it reinforces like these signs that say there's this no man's land. Don't go there. But then again, it takes 2,000 years, you know, for someone like Daniel Block, you know, to write this book and to say, wow, you know, I've, 
you know, so is it neglect? Like what, 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 not, I don't know. What do you think about the teachers that I think what's the difficulty? This... What is the hard thing? Uh, uh, one more point. What I've heard, I've heard it put this way. Oh, Paul changed. Paul made it. Paul uh, made an accommodation to Gentiles, particularly men, because asking them to be circumcised was like going to discourage the spread of the gospel. And so he just like, you know what? Like he had the authority to get away. Yeah, to yeah. Do away so, with circumcision. so go ahead and 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 so they're like, what Paul created was an accommodated kind of Gentile lowercase Judaism, like lowercase J, Jewishism, right. and we're just going to take kind of like Reform Jewish Judaism today, like where it's like they have ham sandwiches and shrimp and all this stuff, and they still say that yeah, we're we're Jews and we worship at temples and things like this. So is it really, is that it? Was it, I mean, obviously not. Obviously I'm, I'm describing that and we're saying, no, that's not the truth. Um, anyway, what, what are you, what do you think? I about think, all that? I think this is like the ingredients of a really good kosher gumbo. There's so many elements that have to go into it to make it a gumbo. You can't just have, there's not just one, you know, you don't just have like Tertullian sitting there one day going, Oh well, maybe uh, circumcision is done away with. No, no, no. It's it's much more of <laughs> nice. a a whole smattering of ingredients that <laughs> happen right at the right time to make it what it is. And I think that a lot of this goes back into the first century, which is one of the reasons that we see it so early. <laughs> and so, first of all, you have. I the, love the, the analogy. It's like to, <laughs> the modern church is like a gumbo that's been cooking <laughs> yeah. for two thousand years. Well, yeah, and we see all these different, all these different, like, you know, the kids are like, I don't like this in it. Give me a bowl before this is in it. And then, you know, and then, and then you have like the Eucharist. And then you have over here, like, this person had this added. And so, but the, the point is, is that what you have. Gumbo Christianity. That's your next book, dude. Gumbo, gumbo Christianity. Gumbo Christianity. I think that in the beginning, you have a, a two, th- two main things that are happening. One is that the the uh, church is trying to say we don't want to be seen by Rome or anyone else as the Jews of Israel who killed Christ. In other words, that touches it, on the, the the Jewish tax that we you had mentioned. Well, that's a the other thing. Ago. The fiscus that's, judaicus, that's one of the, right? So it's not just one thing, but it seems like there's a perfect storm. But of, I think, but things. I think Paul, I think Paul is the one who who initially actually kicks this off. Now, th- this isn't anything against Paul and his theology, of course. But Paul writes to in Acts, he keeps telling the 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 Jews. Well, you have you have his blood on his on your hands now because you are denying that he is is the Messiah, right? So, you like you are responsible. Like Israel is responsible, and you're part of that. And so, instantaneously, the church starts to say, "Well, we're not. We're, we accept Christ, so we need to be." other. We have to be somewhat separate from the people who are denying Christ. So there is this schism instantaneously between those two groups. The Fiscus Judaicus comes along. Ultimately, actually, let's stay on that point for just a second. By the time you get to the Bar Kokhba revolt, now there's an even greater issue because you have the people who are trying to mount up against the, the enemies of Israel, right? Rome and whatnot. And they're saying, come join us to the Christians, right? Hey, you're with us. Come join us. And what do the Christians have to say? We cannot fight with you under the banner of because you're saying he's the Messiah. And we are saying, no, he's not the Messiah. Christ is, Jesus is the Messiah. Yeshua is the Messiah. So we can't fight with you under the banner of Bar Kokhba. And what do the followers of the Bar Kokhba revolt see that as? We are not part of Israel. We are not part of you. We We are against Israel. And so this is like the final schism in between those two groups. But at the same time, you have in 70, 71, 72, you have the Fiscus Judaicus. And this is ultimately where the the idea of rejecting the Torah comes in. We've talked about this so many times that the church does not reject the Torah. The church rejects four or five things from the Torah. And then this is the overarching thing that starts to guide the theology. And what those things are, circumcision, right? How, how did Rome know if you were a Jew? You, you were circumcised, you kept the Sabbath, you kept the festivals, you kept the kosher diet. Boom. Those are the four things. Okay, guess what? All of a sudden, you can start looking at Paul and say, well, 
Look, you know, in, Paul says in Romans, you know, five that we don't have to be circumcised. Boom, there you go. We don't have to be circumcised. Well, Jesus says in Mark seven, we don't have to keep kosher laws. Boom, there you go. We don't have to keep kosher. So laws. these are like legal loophole, or, or well, they're based on interpretate. They're they're they take tough texts, interpret them in a way that then functions as a legal or, or rational loophole in order to evade or maneuver tense like social political let's not let's let's not uh, you know look if i i know that i and my children are going to be boiled alive and i'm gonna have to watch my kids be tortured or i can interpret (laughs) or i can interpret the scriptures so that they're not which one am i going to choose well it sure looks like paul's telling me i don't need to be circumcised here right so I'll just say, yeah, let's not circumcise, and I, I'm covered by the scripture. So it's not just like people are like, well, you know what? Screw God and his scriptures. No, it's not like that. There is this way that they're trying to actually live, uh, you know, and and still be accepted by the scriptures. And we had that in the in the uh, 1700s. We had the the Shabtai Tzvi, exactly, guy, and he was this major rabbi who. He was a Kabbalist. He, you know, he embraced all the rabbinic law. People were in very enthusiastic about him. They thought he was a messianic figure. And he, under the Islamic authorities, they said, okay, you're going to convert to Islam or we're going to kill you. And he did. <laughs> he, he, he converted. <laughs> and so all these yeah. followers are like, wait a minute, our Messiah converted. That would have been like, Jesus right before the cross, and they're like, and he'd say, uh, okay, I'll tell you what, I, I will swear allegiance to Caesar. Just stop beating me up. Right. Don't, don't, don't nail me to that cross. Dude, and I think of Yeshua's how awesome he is, dude. His the fact that he's like, you're not gonna budge. I'm not gonna budge because I because I am the way, the truth, and life. And yet in his flesh he endured. Right this and he did that it says in hebrews for the joy set before him which is the ecclesia which is the church which takes us back to our topic <laughs> so okay so but here's the thing is that we we've because of these skis because of these things now all of a sudden the church has to work out the rest of scripture our skin might be saved today but we have to deal with scripture tomorrow and now you have all of these theologies attempting, and even into our day, you know, even I, I, I still see, we certainly still see this in the church, right? That, you know, in my church history class, there's always this, okay, but we're going to try to work out, you know, how this, this covenant doesn't really do this. And it, it, they're, they're attempting to build theology because of the ramifications of the historical letting go of certain parts of the covenant. Now, check this out. Let's go to, let's go to Isaiah 56, 3 and following. Now, you can go to my, uh, to my, my website, pronomian.com, and you can find covenant conversations. I've only done a couple of them, but one of them was with Andrew Schumacher. Now, Andrew listens to this show, and I, I hold him as a brother in the Lord. And I think that he uh, is doing some great work, even though it's against Torah observance. I think that he really has a fervor for God, and he is really trying to figure it out. But here's the thing, is that he is attacking the Hebrew Roots Movement, which is nothing wrong with that, but in that, he's just wrapping up all Torah observance. So when I talk to him, I talked to him for about an hour in this in this uh, Covenant Conversations uh, show that I did, and I bring up to him Isaiah 56. And I have to say, I think that this was not only the weakest portion of his argument, but I think he kind of stepped in it. Because what he says is, okay, well, I've thought about this a lot, and really I think that he's just using language that the Jews would understand in that time. It's not really talking about the Sabbath. It's not really talking about the kosher laws. It's talking about just unrighteousness to God. This is not how God writes his word. It's not like he says one thing, but he means another. And I think that this really showed the lacking of argument when it comes to the idea that we don't have to keep the door anymore. So... Here is Isaiah 56, 3 and following. We won't read this whole thing, just a little bit of it. Let well, he not literally th- said, I don't think he really, I don't think it, 
Yeah, he says, oh, he well, means. he's talking. He says, you know, that the foreigners are going to keep the, co- the kosher, you know, they're not going to eat these foul things. But that's just what the Jews would understand of that time to be something foul. It's not really what God meant. Okay. All right. So this is what Isaiah 56.3 says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord. This is exactly what we're talking about, right? We're talking about joining ourselves to Israel, to the covenant people of Israel. And I'm not talking about the nation of Israel as it is today. I'm talking about the remnant that is being t- that Paul talks about in Romans, right? The remnant that remains, okay? So we attach ourselves to that, to that covenant people. And this is what he's talking about here. Uh, they join themselves to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people and let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices, what are you going to do with that, will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations." The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather them, so on and so forth. He goes on to talk about them eating unkosher food and how they're not going to do that, right? How his covenant people eat clean food. So the point is, is that we continue. We continue to see that God, even in the in the time to come, when all the nations start to come to, to God and come into his covenant, they start to understand. They start to understand the importance of the covenant obligations to God. Now, this doesn't mean that this is a workspace salvation. Once again, we are covenant members first. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and then he becomes circumcised, right? Paul talks about this all in, in Galatians 3. However, I am a covenant member. I have come into a covenant relationship with God. And because of that, I am not only happy, but I am overjoyed that I have these stipulations. Why? Because it shows me that I'm in covenant relationship with God. It shows that he's on my side. Why would that be a bad thing? What yeah, is the church doing? He, like Yeshua says, he he knows what we need before we ask. He knows, right. he said, be in the world, but not of it. But then did he just say, go invent what that means? No. Walking in his ways means that we seek first the kingdom of God. And that means we, even if we don't understand, oh, come on, Sabbath, every seventh day, I, I have to, Sabbath, like, what well, you know. I have to rest, come on. Yeah, we don't have to, it's like, we don't have to understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a bit, it, we don't have to understand it at first, right? The idea is, are our ears attuning and do we listen and go, wow, you know, the world does things this way. God's word says to do something different. Hmm. Well, you know what? I'll t- I, I really want to identify with the world. So I think I'll just stick with the world's ways and kind of invent my own religion. And then just kind of have the Bible on the shelf and, you know, I'll go, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm a Christian or, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough thing, but you know the heat in the world is is not a neutral place. <laughs> There's it, you know it's it's getting more in, increasingly intense. I think the how upside down everything is, um, but yeah, you got to anchor. Uh, believers are if you truly have the Spirit of Messiah in you, then He won't let you get too far. He's going to discipline you and bring you back to the Word. We so, have, we need that, you know, and that's another part of the covenant promise is that um, if we belong to Messiah and then we we are heirs according to the the promise, we're gonna we're gonna learn. He's he doesn't abandon us, you know. He's not gonna let us wander. You know, he doesn't do that to his sheep. He correct so, he he gathers his sheep and he corrects his sheep. I was asked this question two three days ago by my good friend and brother in the Lord, and love is bigger asks the question again. Question, was it his plan from the beginning to eventually bring us back to him through the sludge and sliminess back to the rock? And the answer, I think, is yes. And the reason why is because you have, in the scriptures, continued uh, 
reference to the fact that the Gentiles will come to the Torah, right? The, the coastlands will wait expectantly for his Torah. Ten Gentiles will take a hold of his garment, uh, of the corner of a Jew's garment and say, teach us, right? Well, why? Why would they do that? If the Gentiles already have the, 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 uh, the Torah and they already know the covenants, why are they doing that? And I think that Isaiah 56, once again, is a perfect example of this, right? What happens? It says that he's going he's gonna to gather the Gentiles. He's going to bring them in. They're going to start celebrating in his covenant. Well, if they're already doing that, why does he have to do that? Right. <laughs> here, can, I, can I interject here? Please, Two points. Please. One is on the Isaiah. If Yeshua is citing that while he's knocking over the money changing tables, it says he's affirming that this, this second temple this whole enterprise from the end of the Babylonian captivity on is not pleasing to the father. Right. A. B, we have that. In other words, the tree the, that was supposed to bear fruit. He's in, it's like, he's inspecting the tree and there's no good fruit there. B, right. yes. we are reminded when they built the second temple after the return, that there were people weeping. Right. Who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple. And they're like weeping that, that it, it that the glory the the glory of God had not filled the uh, the temple like it was before. Now that didn't mean it God didn't allow the second temple to be built. But when you get to Herod's time, who was before Jesus was born, uh, you know, mid roughly mid first century BC, and he builds up the temple, it's all superficial. It's like, oh, look how glorious this. Well, Herod just want is Herod a lover of God? Is is Herod like the new David or the new Solomon right. building right. a temple with a prayer to God saying if even if the nations pray to this place here from heaven, their prayer? Nothing like that. It's all about show. Herod's temple is all about show. And Yeshua said, and even the disciples were tempted to be enamored with the beauty of the gold and the wealth and and the grandness and design of Herod's temple. But Yeshua had to go, not one stone will be left on another. What this means is, is that what Daniel prayed for in exile still has not been answered. It, it, we're, still, we're still in exile. The, the, the tendency is to think, oh, there was this exiled Babylonian captivity, and then God's people returned. And then that one was destroyed, and now there's another exile. That's one way to write the timeline. But the underlying timeline is, if you look at the book of Nehemiah and elsewhere, it says, we, even when they're building the second temple, we are slaves in our own land. They are still slaves. Paul in Galatians says, Jerusalem below, the Jerusalem that now is, that is in the first century, the temple, Herod's temple was standing, Paul's writing around the year 50, still 20 years left on the clock for that. Herod's temple. He says they are in slavery. They are enslaved with their mother. Jerusalem below is, is Hagar. He's using Hagar and Ishmael as the type to understand. This is not an assertion that Jeru that God has abandoned Jerusalem as the covenant city. Obviously, oh, I'm, we yeah, I'm glad you're here Revelation right now. is Jerusalem coming down. And it's the bride adorned for her husband. It's the true Jerusalem in which Yeshua's glory is fully reflected. And that is when Yeshua says, you know, citing Isaiah 56, he's not just, oh, what scripture? You know, I'm really angry right now about these guys. What scripture? Let me see here. Let me pull I'll just my pull something out of context search, here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let me see. Prophet text that uh, about, you know, no, it's because it shows I'm peeved. <laughs> Isaiah 56 means something to yeah. Yeshua. Right. And what it means to him is unshakable. Right. Eternal so, truth. And he, he comes to confront the people who had turned it into a den of thieves. And he's, you know, some say, yeah, well, he's kind of, uh, kind of doing a, a, dramat a pre-dramatization or a prophetic dramatization of destroying the temple by knocking over these money change tables. Maybe that is a way to look at it. But the point is, I see it from the destruction of, uh, of the temple, Solomon's temple, in the time of Jeremiah to today yes. is yes. really understood as one giant exile. Yep. And in that moment, we have Ezekiel's vision of what, what the temple's going to look like. We've had 
the actual historical building of it and then uh, Herod trying to build it up even more. And then that, nope, God's like, nope. And so all the the prophetic uh, visions that we have in the scriptures towards the renewed Jerusalem are still future. So look here, here, here's another point to what you're, you're talking about. The covenant, the, the covenant is made not simply to promise land to Abraham, right? So let's go back in the covenant timeline. Timeline. We got Abraham. Abraham is promised land. Okay, great. So once, once Abraham dies, does it just move on and just now God can promise it to someone else. No, he yeah, promises yeah, it. No, he, no. He, he promises this is, it. This is, exactly. This is the faithfulness of God. Right. Man, so, man but, is unable to be faithful for a thousand generations, but right. who, who can, who can be faithful for a thousand generations? Yeah. The point, the point though, is that it's a land grant treaty, which includes dynastic, a uh, dynastic realm to it. And so it's a dynasty that continues on throughout th- throughout your generations. It is continued throughout your generations, throughout, or eternally. It is a covenant forever, 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 right? So the point here is that the covenant is made with his descendants. The question is, is the church, quote unquote, and I don't, once again, I think that as soon as you become a, a believer and you have the spirit of God dwelling in you, you have attached yourself to, you have enlarged that remnant of Israel. You've become part of that remnant of Israel, heirs according to promise, right? The scriptures use this language. So then the question is, okay, well, now you have land that is promised to this dynasty. So that was promised to Israel though, to, to Abraham. I mean, that was, that was promised to Abraham. So what about us? Now we're the dynasty, okay? Maybe we've attached ourselves. What about us? And God says, I got a covenant for you. And that covenant is the the land, the suzerain vassal treaty of Deuteronomy. So when we get to the new covenant and all of a sudden these people are saying, well, we're not part of Israel. And now they want that covenant. They want just this covenant, but they don't want the one that's attached to it. You cannot have one without the other. You can't have the new covenant unless you realize that the covenant document itself is the Deuteronomy document. The difference is, is that those... Yeah. It's like, I want, it's like you, it's like in Deuteronomy, it gives, here's the blessings, here's the curses. It's like, it's like you're at Baskin Robbins. I'll take all the blessings. (laughs) None of that. I'll pass on the curses. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it doesn't work that way. It's a package deal. And so some, some people have tried to say, by the way, this is a, this is a connection that just does, you cannot find that you cannot find in the scriptures. The connection that so many people who say, I'm not part of Israel, the, 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 the Mosaic Covenant was made with Israel, not with the Gentiles. The jump that they have to make now is that the New Covenant was actually made with the church, but somehow the promises that God made to the dynasty of Israel continue on, but I'm separate, and now the New Covenant Actually, those stipulations are the are, are found in the New New Testament, and it is the the law of Christ that we follow. However, none of those are are spelled out. We're not given a list. We're not told what they are. We're not told any of that. So you're just out here floating around. I get to decide what Christ what's that, for me. That inform Caleb. Doesn't that inform the um, the rapture, pre-trib rapture type of? Yeah, see, so so now we're getting into the I so one of the when so I the, the eschatological uh, ramifications of these views. And one of the things that people the, uh, one of the places that people have often taken me when I've when I've brought up Zechariah 14, right? All the nations are coming up to celebrate what? Sukkot. They it, it says that. They're going up to the temple to celebrate Sukkot, except for Egypt is like, well, we don't know if we're going to go up. And God's like, all right, fine. You don't go up to celebrate at the temple in Jerusalem, I'm going to send a curse on you. Well, one of the things that I've realized is that people say that's allegorical. And what they're doing is they're holding themselves to either a post-mill uh, eschatology, right? Even then, they're still not telling me what going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the, the Festival of Booths is. In the allegory, tell me what that represents. Tell me what, and they can't do it, of course, because they don't know. There's nothing, they haven't worked it out. I have not found one person. Maybe some people have. If you if you are post mill and you believe that that we shouldn't be keeping the festivals, tell me the allegorical implications of all of the nations going up to celebrate Sukkot 
at the temple in Jerusalem because of all the people that I've talked to and all the people that have pushed against my theology, I haven't found one person, not even my family members, who are well-trained in the scriptures, mind you, that have been able to tell me what in the world that's supposed to be an allegory of. It doesn't make any sense. That reminds me of uh, John 4. Why does Jesus tell the Samaritan woman salvation is of the Jews? Right. Yeah. Why didn't he say, you know what? I, it doesn't really Until matter the church if someone comes. worships at Mount Gerizim because, you know, you, you do you. <laughs> Be your and, best And I'm self. not going to judge. No, no. The, the Samaritan woman had to, she had to rethink what it meant to be a Samaritan. Like, oh, you mean Jerusalem is legit the place? You mean the Davidic dynasty is real, is real, is true. Is real. Because remember, oh, the Samaritans it. were based on a rejection of, they had a, they were, they rejected the Davidic dynasty, Solomon Temple. Right. They rejected all that history and the prophets because they said, no, but we have our little Pentateuch that we've modified. Yep. Yeah. So here, here's the, here's the end point. Let's wrap this show up. Here's the end point. First of all, if you believe that we should be keeping the, the covenant stipulations because we are in covenant relationship with God, then if someone tells you, well, the law of Moses was given, like the covenant with Moses, the, that covenant was given to Israel, not to the church. Checkmate. You, ha you now have the ability to, to submit this person in the debate. The, the point this is, is, is that this is uh, this jujitsu language yes, this, coming this, into. Yeah, this does, not, this does not work theologically. And the thing is, is that the church historically has had a lot of problems uh, trying to uh, uh, attempt to show how all of the promises that God makes to, the, to Israel and the descendants of Abraham, how those promises maintain, but the church is separate from Israel. It doesn't so, work. So if we liken the if we liken Christians who have this kind of half-baked theology, and you were to liken that to a, a jujitsu uh student, is yeah. that like having a, a bad guard? <laughs> Your guard's trash, man. No, I, I would say I would say no, that. No, I mean, because they, they're ready to they're ready to roll, but they they really don't own the proper skills for the match. Yeah. Well, they don't, they, they're, look, it's like this. Let's, let's say this. There's an old form of jujitsu, right? That is uh, old and it's mainly for self-defense. But if you get into competition jujitsu today, you can't, I mean, some of the stuff is certainly you're going to be fierce in some of the stuff. You know, if I go to one of those old schools and the guy's got a black belt, I'm going to get crushed. But if you take a new, you know, new school black belt and you put them up against the old school, I'm sorry, but new school is going to win out because there's just so many more systems. They've un they've worked out all of their theology of jujitsu, and it's the same thing. We've realized that certain things don't work. You can't say, "Well, I'm not part of Israel." Israel was, or or maybe you can say, "I'm not part of Israel," but you can say you can't say the covenants weren't were you know weren't given to me. But at what point would there be a point where they say, "You know what? That's not jujitsu anymore." Like in other words, it's like, like you know, or I'm we glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because here's the thing: is that you can't simply make new theology, and this is exactly what the church is attempting to do. And the problem with this is, with all the sacraments and with all the new, you know, theological things that they're trying to do. I'm I'm reading these posts online of good brothers in the Lord who are really into their Presbyterian, you know, well, this church uh, doctrine is this and this and this. Now, I'm not saying I'm one who's big on like confessions and stuff like that. I love reading these things, but we have to go back to what Luther says. I fully believe that Luther was right when he said, "Therefore, the councils can err, the Pope can err as as can the councils. You can't just take a 1689 Baptist confession and say, this is, this is canon now. This is un infallible. It doesn't work like that. We go back to the scriptures. And the problem that is, is happening is you keep having all these confessions and everything, trying to work out these biblical concepts. But ultimately what happens is you have to get rid of parts of scripture. You have to get rid of the, the covenant promises to certain people. Either that or you have to say, well, now they apply to us, and this is ultimately where we get all sorts of theology, like replacement theology. We now have replaced Israel, and now all of those covenants, all of those covenant promises come to us, that God is done with Israel. Well, that means that he is a liar. That means that God is a liar if you believe that. 
These things don't work. You have to, you have, we have to reconcile scripture with scripture first and foremost. It doesn't matter what your confession says. It matters what the scriptures say first and foremost. Now that's not to discount the confessions. I actually think that the confessions can be very helpful. I have benefited greatly from the 1689 Baptist Confession. I, I, I really have. It's helped me solidify a lot of what I believe. But at the same time, there are, anyone who knows my 1689 Baptist Confession project knows that I went through, I changed like 13 things of it, took things out and, and noted everywhere where I thought that they were wrong. Why did I do that? I did that to show that I don't think that the confessions are infallible. So the point is, is that the Bible first. Tell me how Isaiah 56 works without sounding like you're throwing it out. Show me how the covenant to Abraham works without him being a liar and eventually taking a different people besides the descendants of, of Abraham. Show me the stipulations of the new covenant. Just show them to me. I can do it. It's called Deuteronomy. Those are the stipulations. Now, obviously, it has to be noted quickly that the new covenant is only through faith in Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is the new covenant. It is not time bound. Moses was part of it, right? But ultimately, if you don't have Christ and you're trying to uh, to uh, keep the, the Mosaic covenant, guess what? Dead. You are dead. And this is what Paul calls the old covenant in 2 Corinthians 3. He uses the term old covenant to those who do not know Christ. And he he says that, that Moses put a veil over the Torah so that they could not see the rock that traveled with them. Okay, I think that's enough. Let's see what the uh, chat room has to say. All right, good, good things, all good things. All right. Uh, if you want us to talk about something, please. We did let us it. Know. We went over. We went over. Of course, we always do. Chegatorresource.com. C H E G G Resource.com. You can also leave us a voicemail. Now, this voicemail, you can. Uh, you're not going to talk to us. You're going to talk to exactly that. A, a vo an answering machine. So, tell us how much you agree, disagree. Tell us whatever you want. How much you love us, hate us. It doesn't matter. Two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Two five three four six five thirty two zero five. All right. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why. Because Messiah matters. <laughs>